millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 255 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm joined via Zoom by Craig Fitzpatrick. As ever. What's up, Dave? How are you? I'm grand, yeah. How are you feeling? I'm okay. I'm fine. It's grand. It's February. The days are slightly longer. The sun is out today. That's pretty good. It's spring. Yeah, it's spring for me, I think. Officially in Ireland. Not getting into that did, whole... Did you see that Twitter? What was that about? Like, Did you see that, that was Twitter? was like two days of... Jay Leno. <laughs> did you see that Twitter? <laughs> you seen this? You watching this? You hearing about this? <laughs> you seen this guy? Um, yeah, it's, it's yet another argument on Twitter about something frivolous or whatever. So fuck it. I, don't, I, I really don't have time for it anymore, even though I have lots of time uh, on this episode. <laughs> of no encore though we've lots of things to talk about uh we're going to be doing our top five this week which is debut singles we're taking a bit of a best yeah. and worst slant on that one i'm on worst with a twist which ruined my week and craig's on best which i guess was fun to do we'll talk about that later on in the oh show. yeah it was very easy and i also provo- provided the twist that ruined your week so we'll talk we'll about talk that. about that later in the show it's gonna be good i'm very much looking forward to it it was a hard one but i think it's gonna be a good one uh our album review Bravo. this week album review returning it's arlo parks hotly tipped london artist the album has collapsed in sunbeams and we'll be talking about that later in the show um there's a brand new no popcorn episode out now in your feed myself higgs and norma chatting about pixar's soul and uh lots more to come we're going to be recording our first no encore recommends episode this weekend which will be craig and i running down uh, a sample of what we've enjoyed over the last month patreon.com slash no encore that episode will be out there on monday 
And uh, it's going to be the first recording, so I can't preview it too much. We're going to try and take a fun, casual, but informed approach, as we do every week on the show. So, yeah. Look irreverent. To- <laughs> Witty. I love when, I love when shows describe themselves as irreverent. <laughs> I, think, I think irreverent... A sideways look uh, at the world of music. Both of those things are in our fucking bio, I think. A sideways glance, irreverent, yeah. Uh, no, it, no, I don't think they are. I think we rewrote that. <laughs> is that the one where I describe myself as an embittered critic, which I think I have That been. was the first one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've changed that up to something much more knowing. and cool. Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash noencore if you would like to throw us the price of a copy of Hot Press Magazine or whatever. Yeah, you can do it over there. Get access to bonus episodes, including those recommends, which are coming very, very soon. Uh, let's just press on with the show. There's like loads to talk about this week. So unfortunately, in the news section, there's only one place to start. So yeah, Saturday morning, 30th of January, brought the incredibly sad news of the death of Sophie, an incredible musician and producer uh, who we've been talking about on the show here and there over the years. Big fan of pretty much all of her work. That was Pony yeah. Boy there, taken from the record Oil of Every Pearl's Un- Un- Uninsides, which came out in 2018, and it was an absolutely brilliant album. Uh, an incredible musician who passed away in a freak accident in Athens. Uh, I woke up on Saturday morning and like Twitter was awash with rumours that there was something awful happening and you're waiting for a publication to kind of confirm it or a record label or someone to come out and a couple of very difficult errors where you're just like, is this a total hoax? Is it like, 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 what is this? And then eventually, uh, Mixmag, I think, broke the story, uh, saying that they had a statement from Sophie's team saying, quote, it is with profound sadness I have to inform you that musician and producer Sophie passed away at around four in the morning in Athens on Saturday morning where the artist had been living following a sudden accident. At this time, respect and privacy for the family is our priority. We'd also ask respect for her fan base and treat the private nature of this news with sensitivity. Sophie was a pioneer of a new sound, one of the most influential artists in the last decade, not only for ingenious production and creativity, but also for the message and visibility that was achieved, an icon of liberation. Uh, Later on, the labels Transgressive and Future Classic put out their own statement saying, true to her spirituality, she had climbed up to watch the full moon and accidentally slipped and fell. She will always be here with us. She was 34 years of age. Um, tributes were many and continue to be from like very considered and beautifully written pieces on places like The Guardian, Stereogum, Pitchfork, everywhere really. Um, yeah. And lots of artists from Christine and the Queens, Charlie XCX, who obviously knew her incredibly personally, Vince Staples. Like there's no shortage of people and fans, of course, as well. Just like Twitter itself on Saturday morning was a very solemn place to be. And ultimately... It felt like she was only getting started as an artist, despite being around for, like, I guess, like the guts of the last decade in terms of being this mysterious artist who nobody really knew. And then, of course, when she emerged in the form that she did, it was a huge moment for her. It was a huge moment for her fan base. It was a huge moment for the trans community. It was a huge moment for LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus uh, the community as well. It's very much like mm. a really important figure. And the last few days have been kind of a reminder in the worst possible way of just how important she was. And like even musically as well, like it just made stuff that you didn't hear anywhere else. So 
a really, really awful thing to happen. And I don't really know what I can add to that, Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the news was really, um, it was a shocker. It was a discombobulating experience for everyone. Uh, just trying to even verify if it was true. And then that confirmation and um, kind of the freak accidental nature of it, just like a fall when Sophie was going to see a full moon, it just felt like so dreadfully poetic. But just what an amazingly positive force out there in the world. It's just, you know, aside from all the mind warping music, like all of the art was a show of, I guess, strength, true vulnerability and I thought in particular, you know, you mentioned those tributes. Vince Staples talking about Sophie was really, really touching, just like time in the studio. Um, how he never saw F- Sophie kind of show fear on, on her face. Um, the kind of just general cool ass attitude of her as well, just making beats, having a ciggy, being a bit of a boss. Um, and it really kind of demonstrated yeah it was that thing of like you know the personality that they were just mates kind of making their way in the world and changing other people's worlds um it it drove it home for me because i didn't really know too much about sophie outside of the fact that we were you know huge fans of the music we reviewed the debut uh album uh we talked oil of every pearls on insides a couple of years ago and we were just like yeah this is the future of music but I didn't really dip into too many interviews or know too much about um, Sophie's personality. So the news kind of felt like just this positive force, like a light going out, or it felt like being told, like, there's never going to be another, you know, thunderstorm or something. You know what I mean? Just like something, mute was hit on something really, really special. Um, and yeah, it's the world's loss and just absolutely tragic, really upsetting. Yeah, I mean, all that can be said is, rest in power to an incredible figure uh, who music will continue to be celebrated. What she meant to people will continue to be celebrated. And, you know, it's, it's, there's just nothing, there's just nothing, you can't make sense of it. You know, it's just, it's, yeah. it, it's just complete fucking robbery essentially. And it's awful. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Uh, so we'll move on to better news in that Coachella festival is not happening, but Eurovision is. <laughs> maybe going, maybe going to go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this it might is, happen again in October, but probably won't. Yeah, but, um, this is like, I mean, like, I guess, like, this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying hard not to for the for for our new section every week to just be like, here's things that have been cancelled again because that's kind of where we're at. Although I will say that I did see this week, um, the weekend announced a world tour, including a date in Belfast, his only Irish date, in October <laughs> of 2022. So you know, know, get ready, man. 21 months from now. <laughs> will be will we be allowed to cross the border at that point? Who the knows? Things are going. <laughs> I, I uh, nothing would surprise me. I mean, yeah, yeah it's me getting it's, political there, guys. A bit of satire for you. Go for it, man. Why not? You like, like? No, that was the extent of it. I think that's all people need. To be honest. All right, fair enough. Um, yeah. So Coachella, which you weren't going to, none of us were. Uh, not happening. Eurovision happening in some kind of form. I guess like they're trying to do as safely as possible when it happens, but it will go ahead this year. And I know you're very it's, excited about that, Craig. Yeah. Um, I ne- I don't really watch it anymore. There was a time when it was a kind of fun, drunken evening before a night out, but um, never really did it for me. 
Um, it does seem like the kind of event that can just happily take place given current restrictions, right? It's not You don't think of it as like a big live gig. Obviously, a lot of people travel to it, but it's a TV show, essentially. So, you know, they outline all the kind of precautions they could take. Um, if certain countries don't feel like they can travel, they can send in pre-recorded performances. This is like really well placed to just work as a TV special, as it usually does. So there's no reason really it can't happen. Touch wood for, like, you know, obviously... Eurovision is huge, it's huge here. A lot of people really enjoy that night, so people need more nights to enjoy, so I'm not against it. There you go, Eurovision big, Health big and Safety. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say Health and Safety Coordinator, Craig Fitzpatrick, and also, yeah, I'm not against it. <laughs> big thumbs up from Craig. <laughs> Very good. Jesus. Uh, it's been an interesting week for everyone's favourite Dolly Parton, by the way. I feel like we talk about Dolly Parton at least, like, twice a month now, but she's There's been two. a lot of Dolly content. Well, I mean, it's a real like good like good news bad news situation. So, which will we go with first? The good news, maybe? I don't know. Let's keep, start keep with it, the good news because I'm just looking at your story here, Dave, and I'm not even sure if it's that brilliant to be honest. So, Dolly Parton's revealed that she turned down the Presidential Medal of Freedom twice in recent years. Um, it did feel like this story was going to be like fair play to her, you know, she's anti-Trump and all that kind of stuff. But it felt like logistically it just didn't really happen, to be honest. So she'd be mooted for the award, uh, which is the highest uh, civilian honour in the US for years. Barack Obama had recently said that she deserves it. She was talking on the Today Show. Uh, she confirmed that Donald Trump's administration offered her the Medal of Freedom. She said, I couldn't accept it because my husband was ill. Then they asked me again about it and I wouldn't travel because of the COVID. Of the COVID. <laughs> She's kind of like your gran at this point, which is lovely. Um, um, now I feel like if I take it, I'll be doing politics, so I'm not sure. Um, so this isn't quite the anti-Trump message I was waiting for, but she was being safe and um, exercising precautions, which is good, I guess. She says, I don't work for those awards, to be nice, but I'm not sure that I even deserve it. And all kind of nice dotty platitudes. So yeah, I mean, a good story, this one. Well, it's just yet another example of you being like, ha, huh, we don't deserve Dolly Parton. She's just the greatest. She'd never betray us in any way, and she certainly wouldn't sell out to capitalism. Oh no, that's precisely what happened about two days later. Yeah, she's re-recorded her hit song, 9 to 5, as 5 to 9. Super clever for a new campaign uh, for Squarespace. Uh, it's going to be premiered... Uh, it's going to be her first Super Bowl commercial actually this weekend. It's it's for all the nine to five people. All of them can't even go uh, work their nine to five jobs now. So a lot of people are working from home. Um, and then, yeah, it's it's about, you know, people's side hustles that keeps them going, working around the clock for the man. So, yeah, you know, it's, I was distraught when I saw this, to be honest. Like, she's talking in the first story about, like, I don't work for those words, but she works for the man, for capitalism. Uh, this is this was a tough pill to swallow, Dave. Particularly when towards the start of the year, <laughs> I picked up on a tweet she'd put out where she said, "The holidays are over, y'all. It's back to the nine to five with like a, a winky <laughs> face emoji, right?" <laughs> Hashtag Monday motivation. And I Fuck quote me. tweeted it with, "I trust Dolly's wink emoji is subverting the apparently pro capitalism message here, and that she's planning to turn Dollywood into a commune when the revolution comes." How wrong I was, Dave. Yeah, listen, man, like your batting average is, is, is fairly strong, but not on this one. Who saw it coming? This is a real heel turn. Um, I've got a real problem with the phrase side hustle. I mean, not least because, yes. well, not least because I, I remember I was once kind of, uh, romancing a lady and she said something about getting a side hustle. And I thought it meant like, 
bit on the side yeah and i was just like oh really interesting tell me more and then she was like well yeah i just feel like you know like this job is good and all but i can have a second job and i was like what are you talking about nothing happened of course um but listen enough about my perilous love life back to dolly parton's uh penchant for uh working people to the bone uh did advertising craig not to think this was a genius move no was there no conflict this time it's it's a really clever. There's there's always conflict. Here we go. Here he it, is. It, it is. Here, a, here it's go. a clever the mask flip, slips. isn't it? It's just <laughs> it's just such a simple flip, though, isn't it? Nine to five, five to nine. Genius. Yeah, it it's works. Hard like, to imagine it like wasn't thought of before this. If you were sitting at your desk and that like came to you, particularly if you're like of a deadline and we could be fucked, you'd be like fantastic. But you think maybe like four meetings in, you might be like. It is America, so everyone glorifies the side hustle anyway, so it's probably not controversial over there, but it feels very grim to me. Just like this this kind of, as I said, glorification of like everything you do must be like monetized and, you know, one job shouldn't be enough to kind of survive. And uh, if you want to help us out on Patreon, by the way, that's patreon.com forward slash no encore. End this is a message. labor of love, though, Craig. I mean, listen, like, it like, is, of course. We're not trying to sell you like a fucking website builder. We're tr- we're trying to sell you our personalities. And to be fair, uh, like this story as well, it leaves a sour taste because, like, not to get too weird and personal here, but like I've been out of work full time, you know, since like yeah. July, and I keep having this like proper Catholic slash capitalism ridden guilt over it, and I'm like. Dave, that's not really a fair reflection. It's not like you're doing nothing. You're doing some freelancing stuff. You're doing the podcast. You know, you're getting out of bed in the morning, etc. It's not your fault you lost a job in the first place. But like, I'm just still, I'm, we're so conditioned. We're so fucking, and, and I know, I know I sound like Russell Brand here and I don't mean to, but like, you're conditioned from a fucking young age to have a job or else you're worthless. And it's just, it's a horrible, horrible thing to happen. It's a horrible attitude to ingrain in people. And I think ultimately... If fucking, you know, friendly, smiley Dolly Parton is coming up to me and telling me I need not one job that I can't get, but two? Come on, man. That's not fair. Not and you good. didn't really, you didn't really sound like Russell Brand there, but your kind of open shirted look that you're going for now, like do up a few buttons, dude. I'm in the privacy of my own home. I'll do what I want. Thank you very much. Um, and I don't own it either because I never will own a house. <laughs> so oh I'm my like, god! Let's move on. Grimes, <laughs> Grimes has been online. Who, who does own a house? <laughs> yeah, she's doing, she's doing pretty well. Fair play to her. It, the dream can be realised. Uh, well, she's been pretty. She like I don't know. Any new story that begins with Grimes has been busy online is, is, in the last week or so. <laughs> Could go anywhere. Uh, but she's been kind of answering fan questions and stuff. And she says yeah, that she's uh, pretty innocent. She's working pretty hard on the follow up to last year's Mythanthropocene. An album that we love was in our top five of the year. Could have won. Um, but she did a big Q&A and she talked about how she's finishing vocals and mixes. Um, when asked what lyrics she's most proud of, she replied, my whole new album. All these answers are, are in capital letters as well. So she's yeah. clearly a fan of the No Encore brand. Uh, she says she'd be willing to travel to Mars after the age of 50 and has asked her boyfriend Elon Musk to upload her consciousness to an artificial body before he's allowed to leave for the Red Planet. Uh, if she ever does make it to Mars... It's like their equivalent of, like, will you take the bins out on here? <laughs> Just upload me there today. <laughs> she says if she does make it there, she expects to spend the rest of her life doing manual labour, 
but quote, but hopefully that can change. Well, not if Dolly Parton's in charge, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> she, she's enjoying parenting. That's going pretty well. Uh, how has the baby changed her? Less hate, more optimism, more creativity, more desire for life, more respect for women. They're all good things. Uh, she's worked with Elangelo. Uh, she's started a project with Caroline Polachek. Um, yeah, she said she really enjoyed tennis. Um, and now I guess let's get into some fucking grim territory. Uh, okay, uh, I guess content warning for abuse and stuff because it's one of the bigger stories of the week and I don't really want to talk about mm. it too much for lots of reasons, but Grimes did mention that Marilyn Manson was your favourite artist growing up, but after seeing Evan Rachel Wood's testimony about her his alleged abuse, she's, quote, now V-conflicted, lots of thoughts. Great response there. Um, and yeah, she talks about cancelled artists and stuff. Um, so yeah, listen, I mean, I feel like everyone's aware that Marilyn Manson uh, has been accused of abuse by five different women, including the actress Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, yeah. ranging from sexual abuse to uh, emotional and such. So, uh, look, li- listen, I mean, again, I think as well on the show, we're very conscious of being like, let's pick fun stories to talk about uh, where possible. Although you wouldn't know it based on the running order today. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I, I tried, okay? Um, and it's just like, yeah, we, we, we try and cast that uh, quote-unquote irreverent look at the world where possible. Um, sometimes you can't. And I think yeah. it would just be kind of strange if I, myself in particular, didn't mention this at all. Because, of course, on this show, in in, in print, you know, I've very much praised the work of Marilyn Manson, uh, his musical work over the years. Uh, I've been a fan of his music since I was a teenager, uh, an angry, angsty teenager who, you know, needed what he was doing. And I've been a fan of his work as I got older, and I thought he kind of made some very good music, particularly in the latter half of his career in recent years. 2015 album, The Pale Emperor, I, I, I really, really enjoyed. But all of that is kind of immaterial because obviously what is currently going on changes the dynamic. Uh, we've talked about, you know, how you react to these situations as a fan of someone's music if or someone's art if something like this occurs. You, you can only really go with your gut, I suppose, and your natural reaction. And I think all of these things are complex. I think in stories like this, first and foremost, you know, anyone who is a victim, an actual victim, uh, who's been directly affected by someone's actions, it's, it's like the book stops with them in terms of like, that's where the priority should be. That's where the focus should be. That's where the emotional energy should be. Um, and ultimately, I think everyone else who's just kind of a bystander, you can, you're absolutely entitled to have your opinion. Absolutely. And you're entitled to voice that without question. I just find the discourse to be very exhausting and overwhelming, and I don't know how helpful it is. Um, I'm seeing a lot of that, obviously, on Twitter, social media, and fair enough, people are entitled to say what they want and think what they want. Uh, I'm obviously doing that right now on the show, but ultimately, I just find the whole thing to be very, very noisy. Uh, there's a lot of understandable anger out there, and essentially, I don't know, I don't really have a like a, a long-running point here, other than to say that, obviously... Any harmful or horrific actions that have been alleged here, if they are true, will then absolutely fuck the guy. I mean, there's no defending it whatsoever, and I wouldn't dare to do that. Um, It's obviously very complex. I do find stuff like even Wes Borland, who fucking played guitar with him on tour for a while, saying stuff like, those stories are all true. I'm like, how is that helpful? Like, if anything, you're making it harder for the women involved at the centre, but I have to imagine, because... You fucking weren't there, mate. I mean, like, I just think it's, again, I mean, I, like, I, I find myself while I'm saying these words out loud being like, is this the right thing to say? Because I don't know the right thing to say. Maybe the right thing to say is nothing. Maybe it's better to just shut the fuck up and get out of the way. But 
it's tough. It's difficult, especially when it's someone that you've had a you know parasocial relationship for years in terms of the music and the music giving you power. I will say that like I I have always found Manson in interviews to be incredibly cringeworthy and so tryhard, and a lot of what he says I found it to be literally unbelievable. Um, and just trying to you know cultivate this character for himself, which isn't to suggest for a second that I discount the allegations against him i'm not surprised by them and i know that that in and of itself has become a bit of a weird victory lap for some people on social media to be like oh everyone knew and it's like again i just yeah. like these are lives of different people and you can only give people the benefit of the doubt and maybe yeah i mean like maybe people like myself who've been fans for years are at fault i know trent reznor was dragged into this during the week as well because of a passage in that book which i've never actually read but it's written by neil strauss so i assume it's complete garbage uh, a passage in which manson's autobiography is discussed and there's a really horrific section which implicates trent reznor in an assault uh, he has put out a new statement denouncing manson saying i could tie to him 25 years ago when this book came out i said it was a fabrication it didn't happen i say that again for the record it's a complete lie but even then you know you just see people online being like, fuck this guy, he's done. And then saying stuff like, well, why didn't he come out 25 years ago and say something? And it's like, he did. Click the fucking article. But again, I'm rambling. I just find the whole thing very difficult. Um, but obviously, yeah. as a fan of the music, my own reaction to it is not important. The only reaction that is important is the people who are at the center of it, who may, who may very well have been hurt by somebody who may very well have behaved horrifically. And I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you want to add anything. I know. It's, no, I mean, to quote Grimes, obviously a complex situation, all caps. And yeah, it's all the noise around it isn't really helpful. Um, as you said, people just saying new years ago, which just isn't helpful. And even more frivolous stuff of like, I've seen this a lot with, you know, artists that are quote unquote cancelled um, for very valid reasons a lot of the time where it just becomes a, uh, their music was always rubbish anyway. Suddenly it becomes like a thing of like their moral character somehow played into the quality of their art and it's this weird attack on fans that kind of knew nothing about what they were like personally and I think that can be quite a heavy weight to put on the fan base that have you know had their own kind of you know much more minor loss and upset than any you know victims really but it still can be a thing of like I invested so much emotion into this person I feel like my emotions are tied up in them they're now being portrayed in this awful way which is you know it's just really tough to deal with. And then there's a pylon. Um, so I don't think any of that stuff is is great, to be honest. And it's, yeah, it's probably something, it's probably a conversation you want to steer clear of. Get the facts. It's great that there's a spotlight on the actual accusations. And hopefully uh, if there's justice to be served, that is very much done. Um, but yeah, Dave, I mean, you know, I know how much a fan you are. I enjoyed some of his later work. I mean, I kind of dipped in here and there. Um talented guy I mean really iconoclastic um, from an art point of view it seems like he totally bought into the mythos that he created and all of that absolute rock and roll bullshit um, but yeah I mean don't don't beat yourself up um, and I think that should be you know something that's worth saying to the fan base because it's you know the perpetrator's fault yeah and also you also have like people who love to steamroll in and be in stuff like oh I was never a fan and it's like cool yes, that's helping yeah. but no but in fairness I mean like I think like not to downplay that but I think that there is an element of like look we get attached to the art that we love whether it's music or whatever and 
you know, you form a relationship. Uh, it's something you go through for whatever reason, and it's not to diminish or anything like that, but you are allowed feel conflicted. You are allowed feel confused. You are allowed feel upset. You are allowed feel exhausted. You are, you are allowed ask questions, and it shouldn't just be this black and white thing in which it's like, well, fuck you for ever liking that, because you may have loved it. You may have, like, followed an artist around the world. You may have lyrics tattooed on your fucking body. Um, and all you can do is hope for the best from people you know, give people the benefit of the doubt when there isn't, you know, like stuff in front of you that looks really, really concerning. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, there are a lot of people, I think, affected by this kind of thing who probably don't know how to really kind of process it. Uh, there are also people who will continue to support the artist and that's their decision. I mean, I, I'm not in that camp, but like, it doesn't change the fact that for the last 20 years of my life or so, 21 years or there or thereabouts, this was music that meant an awful lot to me and gave me a lot of charge and a lot of power. I think it's also very easy to turn around. And yes, someone like Manson, you know, makes it especially easy. It's very easy to turn around and be like, oh, it was hiding in plain sight. Look at all this shit that's there. Look at all the lyrics. There's an awful lot of dark art in the world, you know, books, films, TV, music, poetry that you can twist and turn and point to after a horrible thing emerges about somebody, but you actually identify with it at the time or you got something from it at the time and you also you know the idea of poetic license etc i guess what i'm trying to say is that like it is a very complex issue you can choose to not see it that way you can choose to be like how fucking dare craig even refer to him as talented i get it completely mm. but i also think that people are allowed react to their react and if that means getting into a fucking endless shedding war on Twitter, so be it. I, I will not be doing that. And I just hope that the people at the heart of this are all right. And I mean that sincerely. Here, here. And I'm going to wrap up this story now because I really Yeah, don't. Dave, will we talk about copyright law? Why not? <laughs> we yeah. move segue yeah. into a nice light story Good stuff, about yeah. trademark infringement. Uh, listen, Evermore. nothing would please me more right now, so please do it. <laughs> Evermore. Does that name ring any bells? Because it should, and it should be <laughs> ringing alarm bells in Taylor Swift's head. It is apparently a fantasy-themed amusement park in Pleasant Grove, Utah. They're suing Taylor Swift uh, for trademark infringement over her most recent album, the same name, which followed up on Folklore. It was kind of, not quite odds and ends, but it was from those kind of sessions. Uh, according to court documents that have been viewed by Pitchfork, who are doing <laughs> a lot of hard journalism there, the suit seeks millions in damages plus all legal fees. They're alleging that the release of Swift's record has led to confused guests <laughs> rocking up in Pleasant Grove, Utah, uh, negatively affected the park's searchability on Google. Negatively? Um, I don't know. That seems weird to me. There's also a lot of talk around the park's merchandise designs and album covers for their original soundtracks, which I've got to hear, uh, <laughs> being eerily similar to Taylor Swift's Evermore. Well, there it's you a fantasy-themed amusement park. What is the tie-in with her earthy, kind of yes. folky... <laughs> it's, it must be the most boring fantasy-themed amusement park ever. That's a bit of a dig. Is that is, is that fair on Taylor Swift? All she's well, trying to do have, is... You know, enhance your musical experience Craig I mean I, I don't see the need for that uh, yeah I mean I don't I think Taylor herself wouldn't describe like the <laughs> her more recent albums as like befitting of uh, a fantasy amusement park it's more gritty it's more real it's more there's more depth there yeah did you, it's real life man did you listen to Evermore over Christmas was it on much I, did, the... I didn't I didn't ah see there we go <laughs> I knew it <laughs> I gave it one spin when it rocked up on Spotify and was like yeah I don't need more of this it sounds great but you know there's just not enough hours in a day even though there is all of the hours in a day how about you 
I gave it like two spins. It was just the timing of the release as well. Yeah, and also yeah. the fact that like, I feel like I got what I needed from Folklore um, in a good way. You know, we like that album for the most part. Uh, do they have a case? I think this is good publicity, no? I think ultimately whatever happens here, I've heard of a theme park that I've never heard of before. And also Pleasant Grove sounds like a great place to go. It sounds either like a great place to go or like the location of some horror TV miniseries where it's just like, oh, Pleasant Grove, but you know, something isn't quite what it seems. And then you end up dead in like episode number three. I guess after Ryan Murphy signed that fucking $300 million Netflix deal, this is precisely what we're going to get now. So look look for that in the future. Um, there's one more story here, and it's about like an unborn child making music. But to, but to be honest with you, I'm really fucking exhausted after the, the, the last few minutes. So uh, here's a podcast about food, and then we'll review an album. That's banging with Chris and Marcus. Hello, my friends, and welcome to That's Banging with me, Marcus Olera. And me, Chris Mellon. A new podcast celebrating everything good, from farm to plate, ship to service, and field and fork. A celebration of everything tasty, fresh, and excellent that's coming off our island at the moment. As well as interviews with people who are shaping the best of the best of food and drink from around the country. We'll be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Okay, good stuff. Right, listen, uh, album review time. It's back. Here's an artist by the name of Arlo Parks. The record is called Collapsed in... Sunbeams, and this song is called Hurt. Stars, so stuck on the new J. Paul. Said my clothes are sticking to me, and I can't quite see my walls. Started dreaming of a house with red carnations by the windows, where he didn't feel so small, so overwhelmed by all his flaws. I know you can't let go of anything at the moment. Just know it won't hurt. So Oof, sick Jay Paul reference. Could be a 10 out of 10 from Craig. Let's find out. Craig, please tell us more about Arlo <laughs> Parks first, though. How dare you? That was a nice palate cleanser, though, wasn't it? I enjoyed that. Little Necessary, yeah, um, I think so. Arlo Parks, clearly with her finger on the pulse as well. Uh, 20-year-old West Londoner, uh, which means she was born in 2000, the year 2000, Dave. What were you up to at the time? Uh, listening to Marilyn Manson, apparently. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's, let's keep moving. Well, Arlo Parks has been in the spotlight for just over two years now uh, since the release of her kind of vivid debut single, Cola, which is uh, a bit of top five inspiration right there. She was born in Ace Marino. Uh, her mother's Parisian, so she learned to speak French apparently before she learned to speak English. I can't speak to the former, literally, but her command of the latter is supreme uh, throughout this album, I would say. Stage name is influenced by King Cruel. Um frank ocean it's kind of what you're getting in terms of influences um and yeah like she that's just one reference to this to the artist she loves you heard jay paul there she name drops in kind of brilliant ways i think it's a good gateway thing for her fan base and those fans i mean she's already being heralded as kind of like voice of a generation for gen z gen z um her big break came from uploading demos to bbc music uh introducing Radio 1 DJ discovered him. She was signed to Beatnik Creative. Uh, she's now got a couple of VPs under her belt and we get this lockdown produced debut on Transgressive. There's a lot of familiar songs on this uh, just from her prior releases. Uh, she has a strong presence already and these songs just, I've, I've been hearing them a lot in Six Music, they become kind of indelible pretty quickly. Um, what, did you, what do you think, Dave? What do you make of it? Were you familiar with Arlo Park's Oove before you dipped into the LP? 
Uh, not really. No, I knew the name, and I guess the six music thing is very like this is very six musicy music. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like when I got to the album, I was like, oh yeah, no, I know that song, and I know that one too, and I know that one as well, even though they all kind of sound the same. Um, so listen, she seems cool. I think she's got a cool profile. I can see this being a Mercury nod easily enough. She's obviously got radio support and people behind her. Lots of interesting things being written. Um, it's an, it's one of those albums though. I found that like the more the week went on. I mean, like the Craig Fitzpatrick five listen test was essential here, but even beyond that, mm. like just. It was more about like going day to day with this, I think, ultimately kind of going Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because that's how the week works. And basically being like excited, um, intrigued and ultimately a bit bored uh, by the time I got to Thursday, which is today when we're recording. Um, I've heard it all before, you know, like it's nice, it's pleasant and I hate describing albums as nice and pleasant because I just find that it means I'm saying nothing about it. Uh, the songs are, I was literally about to say nice and pleasant again. The songs are like grand. Like, like there, there's moments where she kind of soars a little bit, but ultimately I did find it very lightweight. Uh, it opens up with a poem because she is a poet and the, it's kind of useless. Uh, it has one of the weakest endings to an album I've heard in quite some time. It just fades out into nothing. Uh, it has its moments. I found the Jay Paul and Twin Peaks references to actually be very, very clunky. I'm kind of done with that kind of stuff at the moment. And even when it does work quite well on songs like Eugene, um, Hurt that we heard there, Caroline maybe... Like, it's grand, but it's just all a bit fucking precious, no? I, I kept waiting to be really taken away with it. I kept waiting for her identity to kind of overtake, and that never really happened. In the end, it's just nice and pleasant, and I'm so bored of nice and pleasant. Yeah, my expectations were kind of high just from hearing bits and pieces on the radio, mainly through her writing rather than the production around it, because I do think it is very overproduced, very polite, the edginess is kind of supplied by like fake vinyl crackle, you know, that which really gets my goat quite a lot. Um, but I think she's a, you know, really promising songwriter. Um, songs like Caroline, Black Dog had been kind of doing it for me. Um, but then I felt like, you know, there's, there's there seems to be this machine behind her. It was kind of gearing up and seeing some early comments about the record prior to properly getting involved with it. Um, people were saying stuff like you can practically hear Jules Holland edging towards his piano to boogie over the top. It's proper hootenanny great stuff, which I think is a bit harsh. Um, it's a but bit I harsh, kind yeah. of get it. And on my first listen, for sure, I found the opener off-putting. Uh, bit like Zane with the spoken word intro. At least she's a proper poet, but it was, yeah, that was the definition of precious. I don't think there was a real need for it because I think actually when she starts singing and on the songs proper, they're, by and large, very good kind of character studies. You know, she's talked in interviews about being a bit of an empath or she just kind of, you know, really kind of vibes with people. She's, um, she wants to write through other characters and I think she does that in a really... Uh, She's quite accomplished in doing that. I mean, you know, the likes of Eugene, where there's this love triangle thing going on. Uh, Caroline Black Dog, which was, I think, my first experience of her. And I just think it's is still the best thing she's done to date. There's just great emotion there. I love the fact that she's such a visual writer. I think that, you know, it's all about the details for me. I would agree with you that, like, you know, sure, in a context, one of those J. Paul references feels quite clunky. But she does it throughout the album. She's been doing it from the get-go. It's something she does and weaves in. So it kind of makes sense, I think, overall. Um but I, lo I love the use of kind of, you know, proper nouns and stuff. It just feels like all the emotions, which can get a bit, 
self-help and you know you can you can do it i think they're rooted in real places i think you can you feel like you're there in the room with her observing a lot of this um by and large so it's it's evocative um and i think the melodies are pretty strong um there's four or five songs so yeah i agree are just kind of pleasant nothingness but i think that's that dreaded word of potential i'm kind of um I'm a bit easier on this album, I think. Uh, I don't know how often I'll be returning to it. There's a clutch of songs that I think are great. Um, there's moments where I think her com- conversational style, her, um, her use of metaphors and tied in with her kind of her age and stuff. I was reminded a bit of like a young Alex Turner. Um, there's flecks of like a Jarvis Cocker or a Justine Frieshman, that kind of very British kitchen sink style of writing. And I think if she keeps improving on that, great. But I wanted more weirdness. It was weird, like after a couple of listens to this, um, Spotify would just keep playing and it would invariably go on to her cover of Creep, which is your really standard issue, like piano led cover version could be picked for like a John Lewis ad. And that was kind of like, that summed it up for me because Creep is obviously such such an interesting, well-written song. I think she has a lot of interesting, well-written songs, but they're just presented as this beigeness at the moment maybe she's just got this machine around her it's kind of like let's play it safe and establish yourself um i hope 10 years from now she's really daring and trying things and you know maybe one day there's there's a few masterpieces uh in her but this not so much for me i'd probably give it a six out of ten yeah it's too polished it's too pristine it feels made by committee uh it's just very very shiny and plastic and i can hear it on ads and i can see it you know just like uh, it's just it's it's really beige and predictable when it doesn't need to be uh i'm not turned off like by her i i agree with you i'd like she's got quite a strong voice doesn't she like there's something there i think she's yeah she seems interesting but the album isn't five out of ten let's talk about debut singles shall we our top five this week is all about debut singles best and worst but there's a twist which i feel like probably should have been thrown back on you the twist maker but that didn't happen (laughs) why don't you set this up craig tell everyone what they want to hear yeah, so I'm going for best. Um, my choices were in the realms of, well, it, it really came down to stuff that I love and play on a frequent basis. There's some there's some tracks people will think are no-brainers that just, you know, I actually couldn't pick because there was too much selection. Um, so I wanted stuff that made an impact culturally as well. On top of that, you had a much more difficult task because you initially volunteered for worst. And I put in a little proviso that it kind of had to be acts that came good, ended up maybe brilliant or at least just weren't out and out terrible acts. I actually thought I was doing you a favour because there's like an endless sea of awful, awful songs that are like, you know, one and done's just like so many debut singles are fucking atrocious. So I thought you'd be like, you know, the tyranny of choice or whatever. I thought thought it might be easier to go, well, actually, do you know who's a really great band and their debut single is crap? Did you start out, you, you kind of accepted it quite quickly, accepted your fate. Yeah, yeah. Did you then run into problems quite quickly? Tell, talk quite, to me yes, about the weekend. Straight away. Yeah, it was tough. Okay. Uh, because, <laughs> no, because I, first of all, I was like, oh, yeah, like, we're going to alternate doing best and worst, you know, kind of, uh, you know, some listener feedback there. I kind of hogged all the worst last year. So fair enough. And Craig did a worst there two weeks ago. So I was like, it's my turn. But then it was like, Oh, cool. I'm doing worst debut singles. That'll write itself. Paris Hilton, Stars Are Blind, <laughs> straight in. And then Craig was like, no, no, no. Uh, I need these to actually be acts that weren't shit. So I was like, okay. And I was like, how hard could it be? And then I just found myself like going back through like big named artists, like 
trawling back through finding their debut singles and being like, oh, wait, that's actually really good. Uh, and some other ones where I was like, oh, oh, I bet theirs is terrible. Uh, no, it's great. And even like Do you have any I, examples? Of, well, I, yeah. I, 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 for example, I was thinking like, like, oh, of course, wouldn't it be good if, if I went back and I poked some fun at Nine Inch Nails because I love them so much. And I went back and I was like, what's their debut single again? And it's Down In It, a song I used yeah, to play is, yeah. in Hot Press. <laughs> and even you were like, this is cool. What June, is this? Mate, yeah, it's, it's an absolute belter. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And I wanted to pick one of those at least to be like, see, you know, I, I can poke fun at myself or whatever. But like, not that I wrote down in it, but ultimately, um, yeah, it was just I kept coming like blind alley after blind alley. I was just like, oh, my God, these are all because I think the weird thing here is that like if an act is good, it's kind of like like here's our debut single. Here's what we think is our best song at that time. We've probably spent a long time on it in some cases. It's meant to be like a showcase of what they are, you know, from a marketable point of view as well. Like, it makes sense to put your best foot forward, right? And so I found myself being like, Jesus, there's like a lot of great debut singles out there. Um, So I have five. Uh, I, could, okay. I, I did find more than five, <laughs> but I found the five I've gone with made the most sense to me. Um, And also in some cases as well, uh, there's, like, there's, there's there's a little bit of controversy in here and there's also like there's also me being like fucking hell like cementing myself as the villain of this show because like it's it's a it's not a fun place to be in to trash like young raw musicians who are like clearly they- <laughs> learning and i'm like this fuck crap isn't it like i mean like i have to try and get around that as well so yeah you've but really- all you're doing is mocking the ghosts of their former selves they've grown and flourished so don't worry about their feelings yeah uh, just worry about mine but i guess <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. should i go like, like yeah cool yeah i'm really eager to get into yours i think right <laughs> we start with worse and end on maybe a high note <laughs> yeah let's end on a good okay. one i think okay right so uh Top five <laughs> debut singles, me on worst, but the, as fuck but, the act, but, but the act has to go on to be good. <laughs> Here's my number five. Bonjour, and listen to Phoenix. That's Phoenix, and the song is called Party Time. Now, as far as I'm aware, this is their debut single. There are some cases here where, like, even, even like, completely ascertaining that a band's debut single is their debut single, I'm like, it might not be, but, you know, Genius says it is, and fucking, like, Discog says it is, and even Wikipedia says it is. So if I'm wrong, if some of these aren't actually debut singles, I'm sorry, okay? It's been a hard... It's been a hard week. I'm trying my best. <laughs> now, Phoenix tried their best back in 1999 with a song written in 1997, apparently. It's called Party Time. Now, look, it's not horrendous, but it's not very good. And I find it interesting because, like, uh, people tend to be like, oh, they're just ripping off the strokes. But again, this was released in 1999, written in 1997, apparently. Um, it's, like, fair play to them. I mean, like, they, they managed to predict the career of the Fratellis by about 10 years and lots of kind of identical shit British indie bands. And, like, this is on an album called United, and the album includes clearly better material in the form of Too Young and the arguably great If I Ever Feel Better. So, it just feels very not what they are. Like, like I guess, I, I guess I was trying to, like, open here with a contrast of, like, 
this is not who Phoenix are. This is not what Phoenix will go on to be for me. And even on, like, like I say, on the same record, like a song like If I Ever Feel Better, like that's Phoenix. That's like this kind of smart, you know, up-tempo, doused in a bit of melancholy, takes you somewhere, you know, transportative kind of pop music. This is just like yeah. lads in the garage, like belting out a, a two minute and 12 second song about nothing. So look, it's not a crime, but it's not good. And I had a hard week. So it's my number five. I'm sorry, Dave. It's 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 not bad enough for me. It's I knew you'd say that. <laughs> I need no. I knew, I knew you'd say I, that. Like, and I, listen, feel free I to challenge. Joke. You know. No, 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 no. Bravo, because this don't is a fucking bad bravo song. me. This like, was- <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare. The week I've you do, had. You done well, son. Take a bow. <laughs> To quote disgraced former Sky Sportsman Andy Gray. Um, no, this yeah, is a bad song. This is like nearly out of tune. And I think crucially for a band like Phoenix, it's completely absent of any kind of cool, suaveness, airiness whatsoever. It is just not them. And funnily enough, as I was thinking of like, if I, as I was like gliding through life with my <laughs> broad array of selections for like best debut singles, I was thinking like, Phoenix might be a good shout. It's got to be too young, right? And I went back and I saw the name of this. I was like, oh, no, I don't even know this. So I just kept on going. <laughs> even the title. What a parallel. Yeah. Hardy. <laughs> Time. Um, yeah, it's just it's, it's nothing. Just it's, not it's, it's, it's nothing. It's generic and yeah, and it's a betrayal of what they actually are. So that's number five. <laughs> they betrayed their future. So selves. what you're saying is right. you had like you had a golden week in the sun over here, did you? Yeah, yeah. Listening to stuff like this. goes down a treat, doesn't it? It's Wu-Tang Clan. It's Protection X from 1992. And yeah, I wanted some of these songs to be like a proper mission statement, right? So the, my thinking was that the band, the artist could like break up or retire after one fecking song and it'd still be like a case of mission accomplished. Like their whole kind of worldview, their kind of finer points are just condensed in one song. Um, it's just like, it's like the DNA of the band. Maybe not quite the, the ur text, um, as I want to say on this show, but uh, I think this is an incredible example of that. Like, it's just, even the title is iconic. I was looking at like loads of hip hop stuff. Um, the selections on offer were interesting. This was a kind of an area where I struggled a little bit because of mixed type culture and, you know, rappers having different guises. Some of the big first singles I expected there to be weren't quite there. Like, for example, Biggie's Juicy. I thought that was his debut. It wasn't. It was like a second release. There was a load of those. Uh, Regulate was nearly in there, um, which was Warren G's debut. But like Nate Dogg was around um, for kind of ages and Warren G had been popping up. So it didn't feel like a proper starting point. Whereas this does. This kind of like is a year zero for a type of kind of like scuzzy um forward thinking hip-hop it just changed hip-hop really it's arguably i think the greatest posse cut of all time still um you've got eight of the original nine wu-tang members on board um you've got that like eerie haunting chimey thing from rizza which is just like a total blueprint of everything he would do 
I guess the takeaway day from this is like all of these lads were very, very good at rapping from the get go. And no, no you way. Know, when, <laughs> when you open with like inspect a deck, who just murders that like that those few opening bars, the the verse is so good. And I don't think he'd be in most people's like top three, top five members. And then you've got like everyone else to come, ODB, Ghostface. Uh, ending which is a, it's so so bloody good and put together before I think they were even signed M- might have gotten them signed um, so just felt like a real mission statement it was like pressed 10,000 copies I think were pressed sold out kind of immediately and they were up and running so yeah this was their calling card and how alright now it's time for me to criticise the work of a teenager she's from a different world and it's a bear- Yep, it's Sky Ferreira, and the song is called Seventeen. I believe oh. she was seventeen at the time, and yes, it is not a good look for me to. This just is what fucking... I was looking for. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, like, like, I should say that like, I, I'm I'm aware that this is not a good look. That I'm about to like rip into a seventeen-year-old girl making music at like her first official shot in anger, kind of because it was like a MySpace thing, and then it was t- and then it became a video, became a thing. But I want to temper this by saying categorically. I think Sky Ferreira fucking rules. I think she's one of the most interesting pop stars around at the moment. I am, like many people, desperately awaiting masochism. If it happens, I want nothing but the best for her. I think Nighttime My Time is a great album. I gave it 8 out of 10 for Drown Sound when I reviewed it, even though for some reason the review came up as a 7. Uh, I think she has some incredible <laughs> songs. I think she's an incredible star. I think she's fucking shit cool. And she's great. But I can't forgive this chorus. I just can't do it. And the song's moving along a nice kind of early Sky Ferreira clip. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's got the moodiness. It's got the disaffected youth. I don't know what the fuck that chorus is, man. I mean, but again, I mean, like, like, how, what can I really say here? You know, like, like, how dare you show talent and promise on this one? But oof, it is just that chorus is, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's appalling. I guess it's reflective of the time. You know, it's like the turn of the tens. You know, it's a big fucking time for everybody. Synth pop on the rise. MySpace still a thing. Um, but it's just very, like, kind of not what I would associate with Sky Ferreira. I think she is so much smarter than this. As she would go on to prove. Um, I debated this one. I debated putting it in. And the more I went back to it, the more I let the song build. And then when it hits that chorus, I was like, yeah, no, this isn't a good song. It's actually really, really bad. I'm sorry. I still think you're amazing. Please release masochism. <laughs> Are you going to be like this for every entry, Dave? This, it's just the, you, the, the, this one feels, apology to our True the, the Top but 5. This one feels especially bad. Because I'm just like, I she's know. fucking awesome. Like, Especially uh, when it's like she isn't fully established. No, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. She's been mistreated by fucking executive people who've like locked her out of music. I know. I was going to say, what was uh, you know, um, I'm not too aware of her kind of early days. Was this a symptom of like her being, you know, told what direction to go in kind of like the Katy Perry thing because I think Katy Perry Perry started as almost like a Christian pop star and just was you know 
drastically different to what she became. I, pr- I would presume this is a case of Sky Ferreira trying to figure out what she's doing and other people going like, this will be a hit. And well, it I mean, just, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, it seems like she was writing songs, you know, when she was around 15 or so and put them up in MySpace. They got a bit of attention. She apparently wrote a letter to producers called Avant and Bloodshy, basically like saying, give me a record deal. And they were like, okay, and did. So it seems like she was fairly in control. I mean, this feels more like the kind of first kind of, you know, proper angsty scrawlings of a teenager where it's very raw. It's not quite there yet. Uh, but yeah, you're right. In, in as much as like, I think for a long time, the music industry hasn't known quite what to do with Sky Ferreira. Um, I mean, like, she put out Everything is Embarrassing two years later. So that's one of the best pop songs of the last 10 years. One of the best pop songs, full stop. Um, So it's not like it took too long for her to shake this off. But you look at some other stuff, even like a song like Red Lips, which I like, but that's clearly like a Courtney Love impression. And it's just like, whether it is mishandling of a product and, you know, she's a person, not a product, but to them, she's a product. To them, Craig, she's a product. (laughs) Um, It seems like no one knows what to do with her. And it does seem like she's been striving for some kind of independence for a very long time. The best hopefully is yet to come. Who knows? Who knows if we'll ever hear that record, but yeah, I just had to stomp all over her early work. I'm really sorry. Please fit, take this torch and run with it, Craig. <laughs> well, you know, I had a tricky week in spots, to be honest, because it did get to the point where I had like 11 clips prepared. So it was a tough time for me. Um, I'll be getting back into some heavy hitters as we go up the list. Um, but a lot of those heavy hitters, I just felt like I might you know once upon a time I loved them as a teen I felt like at this point I'd be paying lip service to them a bit it didn't speak to you know 2021 Craig's truth Dave right so I thought okay I'll have this selection be an underrated banger uh there were plenty of kind of noisy catchy fun guitar single options out there particularly from the Britpop era and I went with this At Supergrass with Caught by the Fuzz, um, I saw it described as a 90s teenage kicks, which is just as well because the undertones did not make my list. Um, pretty much because I had nothing to say about it, like, oh, John Peel played it twice. Um, so I've no idea how many times I've played this, but it's quite a lot. Uh, there's also a great acoustic version from a resurgent Supergrass a year or so ago. Uh, it's like an absolute radio session or something that's a bit lads, 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 but it's great. And Gaz Coombs looks well. He's in a wide-brimmed hat that's probably hiding and crouching baldness but he pulls it off really well this is like sorry um, just for a second there i have to say like when you said it's from an absolute radio session i forgot that you were i didn't realize you were referring to absolute brand yeah (laughs) it's an absolute radio session my friends (laughs) jesus continue this is contagious it's energetic it's deceptively clever i think um so they were extremely young. They were about Harlo Park's age, I think, when they released this. They quickly followed up with Man Size Rooster. They were like up and running straight away. Um, sold them out quickly, then got signed on the back of it. And I think this is great just because it's like, it's basically about a teenager getting nicked for like minor drug possession. 
and his kind of building hysteria. And I think it's really kind of tonally excellent, like the bits of dialogue there. If only my Baruch be here now. I like when it switches to like the coppers point of view where it's like, come on, son. And then it ends with the ma just coming along being like, you're a disgrace to the family. It's hilarious, but it's also really sweet. I think it's a really clever piece of writing and just huge melodies, as you expect with Supergrass. I think they're kind of slightly slept on um, as a band. Because they have that like cheeky chappy thing, they kind of feel a bit frivolous um, and they were, they felt like maybe, you know, second tier of Britpop bands and relegated to like, you know, the tea time slot at festivals and stuff. But they've some absolutely tremendous songs. This is one of them. Uh, I could have gone with like Suede's The Drowners, which is maybe the first Britpop song. I was thinking of the Libertines' first one, What a Waster, which I think was influenced by this, but Supergrass were actually the last band I saw live in Amsterdam nearly exactly one year ago. What a different time it was. So they got the nod. Was it uh, the tea time slot at the festival? No, it was not a festival. It was 10 in the evening and it was wonderful. And I was lightly stoned. Wow, fucking big man rebel over here. I love it. Uh, we'll have to edit that off. I don't know. You never know. The fuzz could be listening, Craig. Uh, remember the time that we Lovely saw? Stuff. Remember the time that we saw? We saw Wild Beast at like four in the afternoon at Electrification on a Sunday, and I was like on the main stage, and I was like, yeah. talk about not knowing where to place this band. Good lord. But you'd love to be there, wouldn't you, Craig? You'd love I, to. Be I had there. a moment, as I'm wont to do at a festival. That was very. I think I was rolling around on the ground, wasn't I? And I, it wasn't even high. Yeah, I remember that. I was, I was, that was a bit Trump of me there a second ago, wasn't it? You love to be there, Craig. You, wouldn't you love to be there? <laughs> so, okay, all right. Back to my list of worst debut singles by acts that would then go on to do good stuff. And at number three, and I'm sure this one will also pass without incident. You don't have to be a billionaire. You don't have to have much to show much you care. Like, give away, give a kiss. Like, give a little happiness. Like, 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 Craig's enjoyment of that one rather didn't last too long, did it? Uh, got Rough you good. Uh, yes, not content with taking the piss out of one teenage girl, I'm back again with Ariana Grande's debut single. This song is called Put Your Hearts Up. It came out in 2011. On December the 12th, it samples What's Up by Four Non Blondes. Which <laughs> the you, worst song of all time. <laughs> I can't even tell you how much I despise I that song. I mean, like, boat. honestly, if, if, if it was like, if someone need, if, if I had sensitive information and you were going to torture me, you don't need to bother with like a scalpel or a hammer or like a baseball bat. Just play this and I'll tell you anything you want to know. Just please make it stop. Um, so the, to be fair to myself now, you know, on this one, I feel like I'm vindicated because Ariana Grande didn't like this either. So therefore, it's fine. And obviously, she's gone on to great stuff. We know this. Once again, fan on the show. Uh, fan on the show? We're fan- <laughs> you're a fan of hers and you're on this show. I am completely just <laughs> decomposing as we're doing this. Uh, anyway, listen. So I've broken Dave. I have broken Dave. I'm took, sorry, listen. It only took five years or ten years of friendship, but you did it. Uh, so listen, she was on a TV show. Do you know what it was called? Did you ever watch it? Oh, some like Disney Channel thing, was it? I believe was so. She- 
Um, it wasn't Wizards of Wavery Place. I think that was Selena Gomez. I don't know, to be honest. It was it called, might have been something my younger sister watched. It was called Victorious, uh, which I've never seen it. Um, oh, never so heard of it. I guess people identified her as a star. So she began working on her debut album while she was filming that show, uh, signed a, a contract with Universal uh, Republic Records in 2011, and then had 20 songs prepared. They're in the process of narrowing it down to 13. This song was written by Matt Squire, Linda Perry of Four Non Blondes, and Martin Johnson. And it was her first single, a 50s, 60s doo-wop-inspired bubblegum pop song, which talks about making the world a better place. Um, now, it's just very generic. And, like, of course, the reason I picked it is because of the inclusion of What's Up, which, again, I just... I just hate it, Craig. Um, so, in a, like, it's funny because, like, Ariana Grande, over the years has really fucking trashed this song. Like, in 2012, she said, it's the first single because it has a great message, and in some people's opinion, that's the best option for a newcomer, the most commercial. You know, it screams, newbie coming to town. It's, like, not my genie in a bottle song, but it's my first single. It's somewhat different and somewhat going with the flow for now. So that's 2012, she's still playing ball. Um, In an interview, I think the same year, she said, it was a learning experience, for sure. Sonically, it's just not my vibe. I think it would have been a great hit song for somebody else, it's not what I like to sing. It's a bubblegum pop record. And I like to sing stuff that's a bit more soulful. I love pop music. I'm a huge pop music fan, but I just didn't think that record was right for me. Uh, she went on to reiterate that in another interview published in 2013. In an interview with Rolling Stone in 2014, she said it was geared towards kids and felt so inauthentic and fake. It was the worst moment of my life. For the video, oh. they gave me a bad spray tan and put me in a princess dress and had me frolic around the street. The whole thing was straight out of hell. I still have nightmares about it and I made them hide it on my Vivo page. Now, what's funny about that is um, I looked up the video it's on YouTube, it's on her official YouTube channel, and I've been having some computer trouble lately, some crashes here and there, you know, and so, and sometimes my Bluetooth headphones just won't play ball, so I'm listening to the song. You're talking about your actual computer, computer you should tell the listener rather than just you glitching slightly. Oh, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glitching right now, so, <laughs> like, that's nothing new. But the point is, I'm, you know, technology has not been my friend always. And so I'm playing the video, I'm watching the video, I'm listening to the video, I'm suffering through it. And it just starts skipping like a fucking broken record. And I'm like, oh no, my computer's crashing again, or my headphones are about to kick themselves off. And so I reloaded the page, went in, and no, 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 it's not my problem at all. The official video on the Ariana Grande YouTube channel is fucked. Like, about two minutes in, it just glitches and keeps skipping. Oh, wow. And they haven't fixed it in I don't know how long. So she clearly Ghost the show. is I like... I wonder, did she sabotage it somehow? <laughs> maybe. But then again, you know, unfortunately, you know, the fun and games must end eventually. Just last year, she did a new interview for the last album that we talked about, and she retracted her statements about hating it, saying that she felt she was in an uncomfortable position at the time about her music career and felt the fans wanted to have a bubblegum pop song due to her persona on the television show Victorious. She also went on to state that although she doesn't dislike it, she felt it would have been a better fit for another artist. Yeah, which is what she said before. I say own it. I say it's okay to turn around and say, you know what? That was terrible, and it wasn't her fault, but it's not a good song, and the most important thing is it gave me the chance to rag on Four Non Blondes, the worst act ever? Maybe. Potentially. Okay, um, here at number three for me, it's Genie in a Bottle.
Hatch up, boys. West End girls. Um, yeah, self-contained brilliance. Just fully formed right out the gate. And this has been parodied so much, but it still just works when it comes on. Um, there was, I was saying, you know, I had about 11 clips ready to go. Some of the songs were great songs, but they didn't feel like important singles in their own right. You know, there was stuff like... Led Zeppelin's Communication Breakdown or Suzanne by Leonard Cohen. They felt like kind of album artists and, you know, those were just kind of album tracks, really. Whereas I think when Pet Shop Boys arrived, your mid-80s, the kind of pop charts were a huge deal, particularly for the two of them. Um, Top of the Pops was what it was all about. It was kind of Neil Tennant's dream. He was, I think, in his 30s when they really kicked off. Um, He'd been a music journalist himself. I think he was one of the editors for Smash Hits magazine. And like one day he just told them he was quitting to become a pop star. And they were like, yeah, good luck, mate. <laughs> Next thing he's on like Top of the Pops um, alongside Chris Lowe, who um, I think knocked the kind of folky out of him because apparently Neil Tennant was big into like acoustic folk music. And Chris Lowe was like, no, we're doing like high energy dance and be a bit acerbic and yeah, just do stuff that sounds a bit like hip hop, but not lame. And he's like, okay, I know exactly what to do. <laughs> West End girls. <laughs> it's such a great statement of intent. Uh, it's, yeah, it just brings you into this world, isn't it? It's, and the interesting thing about this was it was recorded um, a few times. One of the versions was like way clubbier. It was like a hit in like Belgium or something like that. Then another version came and it was re- released a few times before it actually hit big. A bit like a kind of Mr. Brightside story. Um, but I think in the case of this, this doesn't like insist upon itself. Like Mr. Brightside might. It's not in my top five, by the way. This is like, you know, I'm uber cool. I'm like living in this really intriguing world. And like, if you really must come along, fine. Like I'll give you a late night tour. Um, it just works so excellently and became uh, a number one. And there were stars and um, never looked back, Dave. World building is like, that's who they are, right? I mean, like, yeah, Pet Shop Boys are so good at this. They're so good at building their own worlds that are so distinctly theirs. Um, and also, you know, obviously inviting people in, but very much being like, that was a trip for me. They live there and they do it so fucking well. Tremendous song. But I will say, it's a mean thing to do to tease Genie in a bottle and not play it, man. That's just upsetting. But, you know, fine. I'm sure it'll make another top five sometime. Uh, I will, yeah. however, for my, my runner up this week in the worst corner of acts that went on to do well, will return to the pop world and also... um. You know, it's funny because, like, on this show, there are acts that we love to venerate, maybe slightly too much sometimes. It can be a bit of a running gag that we think certain acts are just infallibly brilliant. But the truth is, they're not always. So let's give them a good old kicking. Such a good song. <laughs> Ice. Yeah, it's Take That and Do What You Like, a song that they've kind of disowned, and you can see why. 
Um, we love Take That. We're big fans, but it's time to reverse the balance, I suppose, just a little bit. Uh, this is a debut single, came out in 1991, on my birthday. So a real treat for a seven-year-old Dave. <laughs> like, congratulations. Uh, the lead single from their debut studio album, Take That and Party, which followed in 1992. Now, it took about a year. It took about a year for Take That, like following the release of this, to kind of become the superstar act that they were becoming. It took another couple of singles to do it. Uh, this one was bizarre in lots of ways. And in fairness, it's reminiscent of like Boyzone's infamous Late Late Show appearance. It's just like, and don't get me wrong, I greatly appreciate the fucking Streets of Rage-esque, like ridiculous Casio fucking kick beats you have going on there. But it's cheesy as all hell. And it doesn't really tell a story. It's barely even a song, even though Gary Barlow did co-write it. So he was on the pen from the fucking get-go after the band were formed. On, on the, the pen. pen. That, that's my wasn't, new... <laughs> wasn't, it wasn't off the dome, no. <laughs> <laughs> on the pen. That's my uh, my, uh, my my unofficial Gary Barlow autobiography Love I've it. been working on for the past six, seven months. Um, infamous video as well, this, this had, um, which is like, it's them in a white room and they're wearing lots of leather and then they're topless, then they're naked and then they're smearing jelly all over each other. And Gary Barlow has a like peroxide blonde short Ivan Drago-esque haircut and like it's intensely yeah. homoerotic and of course, you know, not to go all Seinfeld here but like absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's great. But I just feel like for an act that were I presume supposed to be targeted at teenage girls it's like someone didn't get the memo but I guess maybe they were meant to be boundary breaking. Oh, like, they knew what they were doing. Do you Dave? think so? I hope yeah, so. Yeah, there was an audience there for sure. I think. Well, it's all very um, frivolous. And I mean, like when, when when they've discussed this in later years, like, because it was left off a compilation and it was left off a video compilation as well. And Gary Barlow has been like, yeah, look, it's not great, but, you know, it paved the way. And it's, I don't know. I mean, like they've, they've managed to shake off so much kind of ridiculousness over the years. And I guess, you know, if like the whole point of Take That was that they were put together to be this British equivalent of New Kids on the Block. So they were taking their cues from that kind of music in the States and like, here's a bunch of pretty boys uh smearing jelly all over each other to a shit disco song but like ultimately i guess some people saw something in it but it is kind of a stick to beat them with but again you know gary barlow made lots of money and he doesn't pay his taxes so he is the last laugh on the pen Um, yeah, we kind of went from one high energy dance song to another, didn't we? This is kind of like if Neil Tennant had been lobotomized, he might come up with a song like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't it's hate just this, as good. but it is, no, it is I, like I, I objectively it. bad. It is yeah, bad. Yeah, it's yeah, cheesy it's... as all hell. I do fondly remember in my college days, myself and my friend Paul would, uh, kind of only semi-ironically sing this call and response chorus back to each other on like nights out. <laughs> Little glimpse into my former life there. Is this like uh, no matter what song is playing <laughs> in the club? <laughs> oh, totally. 100%. Okay, let's stick with the pop music. Um, let's dip back into the 80s with some more synth action. Oh. Oh, he's gone and done it. Yes. Man, that falsetto could go on forever. 
It's aha! <laughs> it's Take On Me. It's from 1985. And this is another song that apparently took some time to get right. Um, we're a Norwegian group. This was one of the first songs they came up with. Um, I think it actually came from their previous bands that didn't feature Morton Harkish, who's the, the matinee idol they had up front doing those incredible falsettos. Um, yeah, it started out as like a different kind of song. It became Take On Me. They recorded it once. It wasn't quite working. Um, and they kind of, they redid it. They reworked the synths and suddenly it just came alive with that uh, synth riff. And yeah, I think Morton talked about how <laughs> the minute he heard that being played, he was just like, that's it. We're going to be stars. We're sorted. <laughs> they like headed for London in search of a recording contract with this. And they were just like up and running. It's just like right out of the gate, which is incredible. Um, it's been called the most difficult uh, song to do at karaoke because he just sings impossibly high. But I found a quote where he's talking about um, his delivery. He says, as for hitting that last high note, you either have wings or you don't. The voice is not in the throat, it's in the blood. It's what you envisage, what you believe. People think the chorus is the hard part and take on me, but they're wrong. The hard part was making the verses bounce. And they really do bounce. It's a great song. This man is a genius. I want to hear more about yeah. this. Like, wow, this process. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's stood the test of time, you know. Let's get as cliche as we can here. Uh, <laughs> it's a belter. I've never sang it at karaoke. I've very rarely done karaoke. And of course, uh, you and I were infamously one night, infamously, <laughs> between us. Like, uh, <laughs> we were we, we were scheduled to sing uh, Flock of Seagulls. I ran. I ran and then yeah and we ran out of the building because my, my bus was coming and it still never happened to this day that'll be a tough one as well in fairness now but uh yeah no absolute belter of a song and who covered it was it a or somebody or no not a it was like fuck, a1 i think covered it did they some british a1 probably did yeah, yeah. and lots and of more other people recently well. weezer yeah it was on their teal album of covers they're kind of like ironic covers or maybe not ironic they actually did it live when it was at bbk um Last summer, or was that like five years ago? I can't tell now at this point, uh, two summers ago. But um, they did a kind of justice in fairness to Rivers. Um, he didn't really go for the falsetto, which is fair enough. But um, you can't keep a good song down. It's great life. Okay, well, I'm going to put a good song down. At least some people might think it's a good <laughs> song, but we're going to see. Uh, my number one, worst debut singles from acts that will then put out better material. Come at me. Yeah, we can't, Dave. We we mustn't. It's just wrong. It's <laughs> dare we? <laughs> we are. We dare. I do. Yes. Um. It's time. It's time to put Mr. Brightside by the Killers oh, in its place. Listen. I hate that I agree, but you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> oh wow. See, I, di- I didn't think you would agree because I was like, I, I was going to be like, this is why they pay me the big bucks, guys. You know, here I am, the El Contrarion. It's time. Uh, it jumped out, right? I was like, it's like, fuck this song, right? Let's be honest, okay? Because it has just given birth to like the worst generation, the worst type of person, the worst type of music, the worst type of everything. Oh. Damn it to hell. It's scorched earth Go policy in. time. I'm going all the way in here. Yes, I'm among you. We are a legion. I'm that guy too when I've had too many drinks and I'm in the bar or the club or whatever and I'm screaming along as well. But it's kind of rubbish, isn't it? 
And for the record, I was always a somebody told me guy over this one, which of course is like the mark of ultimate hipster cred, as we know. Um, I just find it to be kind of baffling. Even like, they were like, oh yeah, like we didn't have time to write a second verse. Okay. Um, I just think that it's become an anthem for like, the, like the worst, like excesses of nonsense. It's kind of nothing. <laughs> the worst excesses of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's 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 endured like nothing else. I, I, like I think it's a prick anthem, you know. Like like come on, challenge me, Craig. It's kind of no. It has become our generation's like living on a prayer, right? It's like oh, in the yeah. vein. I Jeez, think. that's good. I think that's what it is. And I mean, yeah, I just happened to, to mention Mr. Brightside, um, disparaging, I guess, compared to the Pet Shop Boys, where yeah, this was re released. Um, after they'd kind of broken through. So they had another go at it. And that's like a case in point of how I feel like it does like insist upon itself. Like it's very much Brandon Flowers being like, please, please like me. Um, you know what I mean? It's just, it's objectively good in terms of the hooks are stacked. It's a decent performance, but I always found it quite like unapproachable. It's like a wall of noise. It's very glittering. It's very like Vegas. There's no real emotion there. Like I know the lyric kind of seems clever, but I just don't buy it from him. Um, you were somebody told me guy. I was a Jenny was a friend of mine guy actually. So I got all of the indie <laughs> points there. Of course, as always. <laughs> They've way as better stuff be. though. I think on a point of principle, this might belong there. Like I don't think it's a bad song, but I am sick of this. Like I don't need to ever hear this again. So it probably earns its place because of that. Yeah, and you're going to hear it forever. I mean, it was Absolute Radio's Song of the Decade. It's Rolling Stone's 48th best song of the 21st century. Uh, it's, like, continually downloaded and bought and has made a ton of fucking money. And listen, it does the job of introducing you to a band, although a band that I still find kind of strangely identity-less despite the fact that I do like a lot of what they do. And um, we, we, we've had the conversation on the last album, like, are they an underrated band? You know, are they maligned unfairly, etc. And there's lots of arguments you can make about them, but they're another strangely kind of plastic band at times. And this is them at their most fucking shrink-wrapped. You know, it's very much like, okay, I get it. It's just shouting at me. It's just a prick in a fucking nightclub shouting at me when I'm trying to go to the bar. And I can't do that now. And I wouldn't even trade, I wouldn't even trade it, mate. Pandemic can continue for like, uh, like a long time uh, stop me from talking this is I'm I'm just remembering I'm just remembering a Brandon Flowers interview from a few years ago where just uh, the fact we were mentioning Pet Shop Boys as well Neil Neil Tennant I think or maybe it was Chris no it must be Neil because he's the, the one that talks in public had said openly that he hated Brandon Flowers mustachioed look do you remember when he did the whole uh, springsteen vibe for the second album and he was gone all rustic and blah 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 Neil Tennant had said that. So Brandon Flowers, after the album cycle was over, shaved off his moustache and sent it in a baggie to Neil Tennant. That is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And like Brandon Flowers is a humongous Pet Shop Boys fan as well. So there was this weird like like fan, like Stan weird misery vibe to it. I don't know. It was. I wonder what Neil Tennant made of it. Maybe he found it funny and kind of arch. I don't know. I'd fucking take out a restraining order or at least press charges. That's bad. That's horrendous yeah. behavior. Yeah. And, okay. uh, and it's what, right. I, what, what I would expect from the man who wrote Mr. Brightside, you know? <laughs> okay, let's do it. My number one. And we're staying in the 80s, which is incredible. Can we beat Morton's falsetto? I believe it to be so, David. 
cloud-busting gal myself oh come on Wuthering Heights Kate Bush um, a number one song when she, written when she was 18 and yeah I mean Take On Me is great but there are levels right when I when I went back to pick this and put it on I, I have to admit I got a bit teary listening to it and I only listened to it previously about a month ago I'd say but it's so bloody good like um, the rhythm, the kind of undulation of the backing instrumentation, it feels like that kind of, you know, the Yorkshire Moors being ravished by a storm, the strings, it's like so gothic and great. And it's just like wild self vocal performance. Um, and she just sells it so well that it doesn't feel like melodrama. Um, <clears throat> I think it's really interesting as well, just reading about it, how um, the label did not want this to be her debut single whatsoever. Um, they wanted a kind of more... Um, Generic run-the-mill kind of glam pop stomp, James and the Cold Gun, which would have been fine. And I think her career would have been fine, but she was just like freshly signed teenager um, who couldn't really call any shots, but was just like doubling down on this. I mean, like, no, this has to be my kind of statement. Um, and the label were like, all right, um, we'll let you make this mistake and then we'll make all the decisions from then on. And yeah, this became like a huge number one. It dethroned Abba's Take On Me. Um, and it's still, I think, her biggest single, despite everything she's accomplished, which is just crazy, really. It's one of those like really big songs that because it's so iconic and because it got so big, you forget how kind of weird it is. Like when doves cry and stuff like that, where you're just like, oh, wow, how did this really capture the nation in such a way? You think this would just be like a cult hit, but it was just gigantic, which is brilliant. And one of the best guitar solos of all time as well, for my money, which just fades out. And it's so, so good. I must confess to hating it for years, especially when I was younger. I just found it genuinely irritating and I, I couldn't get into it. But there were lots of songs like from the time that I also didn't like, like nothing compares to you and whole of the moon and stuff, which one day, oh, wow. well, one day I, I got to have that moment where my brain like, you know, clicked into place and I was like, Oh, hang on. No, this is actually incredible. It's like a fucking frequency from another world. And I just wasn't hearing it properly. Yeah. It's amazing. She's incredible. There's, there's no debate here. It's brilliant. Well done. You nailed the top five. You ruined my week, but you managed to kind of bring some levity to it now. And I very much enjoyed it. Uh, it's patreon.com slash no encore. If you want to, help support the show and throw us specifically me the price of a pint that i can enjoy in the comfort of my home without some prick in a lyle and scott jumper screaming mr brightside at me that's right i went all the i went all the way in for you this week listener so i hope you enjoyed it (laughs) uh adam shanahan is here as well of course as always our wonderful sonic architect choice music prize nominated he produced this episode uh jury's still out and if he's a killers fan but we'll find out and there's nothing wrong with being a killers fan in fairness they got some great great songs uh craig how you feeling after that one I'm a bit spent. Me too, um, yeah, I'm knackered. I applaud your effort, and the fact that you didn't complain at all throughout the process was just something else entirely. I'm, I, I'm blessed um, with a certain kind of grace that you just can't yes. get, you know? You're born with a baby. Um, yeah, uh, show's back next week. We're going to record our No Encore Recommends, in which I'll be a much more positive ray of sunshine, specifically and exclusively for our patrons at patreon.com slash noencore. That'll be out, hopefully, on Monday. And lots more coming, of course. Um, lots more to kind of 
to sift through and work through. We're still very much like week to week on where we're at album and top five wise, the stuff cooking in the background. If you want to send us some top five suggestions, please do so. It's noencoreshow at gmail.com or you'll get us at noencoreshow on Twitter. Any exciting plans for the weekend, Craig? It's February now. Val- Just Val- to you, Dave. Valentine's Day is coming up. Oh, that's next week, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, we're going to do something um, romantic, we, we could we? do, like, yeah, we could do, well, we did anti-love songs uh, yeah, last year. Yeah, that was fun. Maybe we do another twist. We could do Unrequited Love, Platonic Love, maybe Straight Up Love. I don't know. We'll figure something we'll out. We'll figure something um, out. A lot of scope there. Yeah, it'll- the Super Bowl is also happening, which I don't think I'll be watching, but I'll probably catch up on the weekend's performance, so... Yeah, lots to talk about. Things <laughs> happening in the world of music. I've I've really hit a stage of the show now where I no longer know how to end the program. So that's what you're hearing right now. That's Craig. That's Adam. I'm Dave. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. about mcdonald's all day can't get it off my mind i can already taste it Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some mickey d's deal there's a deal for every moment at mcdonald's right now get two of your favorites for just 350 mix and match a classic mcchicken a hot and spicy mcchicken or a juicy mcdouble price and participation may vary cannot be combined with combo meal single item at regular price Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.